1: Welcome to Taiwan on Air, Kongzhong Taiwan. Hello everyone, this is Adina Zemanek, one of the hosts of this uh, podcast series. Today we are here for a conversation about comics. Our guest is Norbert Danisch, who is a PhD candidate at Université Lumière Lyon 2. He's working on a project about stylistic evolutions of comics in China. Hi, Norbert. Hello. And uh, welcome to our podcast. Uh, Very glad to have you here.
0: Thank you very much for the invitation.
1: (laughs) Can we please start with elaborating on your main research interests and also how you came to be interested in comics in Taiwan? What was the first Taiwanese comic you have read or liked? Why did that comic and how did that comic capture your attention?
0: Yeah, sure. So, I first... Became interested in comics in China, actually. I got my master's degree in Chinese studies. And at the beginning, I was really interested in literature, in image and art. And I tried to sort of combine all that and study the comics medium, even though I also like all types of like text images medium, such as illustration, that kind of things. And uh, I first did a master's thesis on Chinese comics on three adaptations from the same short story by Lu Xun, published in the 20s. And then when I was preparing my application for a PhD on the same subject of Chinese comics, I was in Taiwan at the time. And I just went for comics there and I went to comics bookstores. I met with comics artists. And then luckily when I was back to France, there were more and more Taiwanese comics that were translated and published and I continued to read them here. And that's where my interest for Taiwanese comics comes from. You mentioned the first comics that I read, the first Taiwanese comics. I think one of the first, I'm not sure if that's the first actually, but one of the first that I read was one by the artist A.E. Mai. So it's written A-E-M-I and it's called Hong Peilu translated as Pink Mates with Green. It's a really short comics, like maybe 60 pages, self-published. And it's a kind of hallucinated vision of romance between humans, but seen through the eyes, through the metaphors of some sort of queer dinosaurs. We don't really know if we're in the past or in the very distant future. It's really strange, but I really like that one with very vivid colours, really interesting style. So yeah, that was one of the gateways for me to Taiwanese comics.
1: I see. And how do you, did you even find that comic? Was it at the bookstore?
0: Yes, that was definitely at the bookstore. It's a self-published comics by the artist A.E.M.E. but it's also co-published by the Wildflower Bookstore, so this is one of the two main bookstores I went to when I was in Taiwan two years ago. It's one of those that are near the, the station, main, the Taiwan Main Station, Wildflower Bookstore.
1: Okay, I see. Thank you. Now, when I was in Taiwan first in 2014 and I was talking to Taiwanese people about the comics that I had found, I very often met with the opinion that Taiwanese comics do not exist. There isn't such a thing. So do you think that this category, Taiwan comics, Taiwanese comics, do you think that it exists? Is it relevant? How can it be defined? Who is it relevant for? What do you think about this?
0: Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I had already thought about for the question of Taiwanese literature as well. What is Taiwanese literature? Uh, What is its unity beyond the fact that it has all sorts of influences from Japan, from the West, from China, of course, from also the aboriginals' point of view. So, yeah, I was really wondering about that. And maybe what is the unity of the field of Taiwan's literature or comics is precisely that diversity that allows for a really great creativity that is at the crossroads of those different comics traditions or literature traditions. Also, in that regional East Asian sphere, I think one of the characteristics of Taiwanese comics is, of course, the freedom of speech and in the arts that we have in Taiwan. That helps a lot to distinguish Taiwan comics from the Chinese comic sphere. And of course, there are some subjects that are more frequent in Taiwan than in China. Yeah, that's what I would say about potentially define Taiwanese comics, but that's a really tough question.
1: So, diversity and uh, freedom of speech and topics that cannot be found elsewhere, such as in China, could you say more about those topics? What topics have you noticed that are, I don't know, specifically Taiwanese, maybe?
0: Yeah, so for example, the one comics that I just talked about, Hong Pei Liu, talking a lot about the queer questions that are peaking today in Taiwan. Those are not that frequent in China. Also, some comics on political questions, on the questions of censorship, on dictatorship, those are really basically censored in China. Or if you publish them, you are condemned to publish them at a really small scale, a really small range. And uh, I think also those topics, like the queer topics, the freedom topic, are also stressed by the government. They really like that Taiwan comic artists are investigating those subjects because they can prove that way, that they are a democratic country, developed country, on the same footing as the Western countries. So yeah, the way that the Taiwanese government defines the Taiwanese comics are also in their interest.
1: Yeah, I see. We'll get back to this in a moment. Now I would like to, because you mentioned diversity and you mentioned Japanese influences or Chinese influences, maybe let's talk more about this diversity because before we come back to the topic of the state and its promotion of comics. So how can you trace the diversity of Taiwanese comics? And except for China and Japan, how else can Taiwanese comics be positioned in regional or in global terms? For instance, what connections do Taiwanese comics make? They definitely do make connections with manga, with the Japanese manga, which are dominant on Taiwan's market. And it is this manga-esque, stylistic and thematic conventions that Taiwanese authors are also inspired by. Is there any other kind of connections that that Taiwanese artists make, forge or, I don't know, sources of inspiration
0: Yeah, okay, sure. Of course, there's the Japanese sphere that Taiwan is very close to. Some comics artists in Taiwan have been working in Japan, the paramount example of Zhang Wen, but also some other artists, for example, the Chen Jian, who worked for a Japanese magazine at the time, they are also making connections with China, more and more connections with China, but with a certain type of comics in China, and precisely the types that could not really be completely freely published in China, so mainly alternative comics and descent Chinese comics, that can find a publishing place in Taiwan. I think I also make quite a lot of connections with uh, South Korea, although I'm not really an expert about that. And of course, the other place of exchange with Taiwan comics is Europe. A lot of comics artists have been to Europe, either for uh, their studies or for artist residency or to attend to festivals in Germany, in France. And they, for sure, they borrow stars. They're, they see things that they couldn't see in Taiwan. And then they have that influence that they bring back to the country.
1: Mm-hmm. I see. I didn't know all the connections with China. So this means that Chinese artists are published in Taiwan? Chinese artists who could be controversial in China uh, publish their works in Taiwan?
0: Yes, I know that example of uh, Yen Tsung, who has put up an exhibition uh, last year, I think, or maybe two years ago in Taipei. And then published a quite thick volume of anthology of his comics in Manga 6, so it's the second main comics bookstore in Taipei. And the connections are also the other, the other way around. And I mean that in Taipei, in Taiwan, you find quite a lot of Chinese comics that those Taiwan bookstores want to promote as well. So, yeah, it's really both ways.
1: Okay, thank you. That's interesting. Now, because you also mentioned Taiwanese comics artists pursuing their education in countries like France or Germany. and I also mentioned that we would get back to this idea of government promotion of comics. So why else? Some individual artists obviously do go to France and Germany by themselves. This arises from their own initiatives, but some of them are sent there by the government. So comics, until very recently, until a few years ago, they worked, I think, quite an invisible artistic realm in Taiwan. And now they have become very prominent. So from children's entertainment, they have become a key component of the culture and creative industries that um, the Taiwanese state wants to develop. So could you say more about these changes and these connections with Europe that this government promotion is making?
0: Yeah, that's right. There is some kind of new momentum now in Taiwan for the comic sphere. There had been already a few golden ages, as they say, in the 50s, for example, and then another one in the 80s, 90s, now there is another golden age, government-promoted golden age, because I think the government and also the authors themselves are aware that promoting that kind of cultural production abroad is really a part of the soft power, and the soft power is almost what they have left to, to oppose China. And I think, by the way, that soft power strategy is not concerning only the comic sphere. There's also a lot of literature that is more and more published in French and I believe also in English. So, yeah, I think the deal here is what is at stake is that they want to make the country more well-known abroad. The government also funded very specific programs for that. For example, they opened the Taiwan Comics Base in Taipei, uh, which is a huge... House hosting a bookstore, exhibition rooms, also a studio for artists to come in and create. Mm. They also delivered subsidies for artists or for publishing houses. And they have also built partnerships with publishing houses or with institutions abroad. I'm thinking of Angoulême, for example, where there is Each year, the International Comics Festival. Uh, There's also the Artists' House, where every year there is always two artists coming from Taiwan and going there for a two-month residency. And the selection is always made hand-in-hand by the Artists' House and the government in Taiwan. I think it's the Ministry of Culture, obviously. Yeah, so all kinds of government-sponsored programs and, and subsidies and partnerships
1: what about Germany? So I knew about Angoulême, the state sponsorship of Taiwanese comics artist participation in Angoulême or this artist house. Uh, but you also mentioned Germany and I don't think I know a lot about that.
0: I don't know a lot about that myself. I just know that uh, in the Frankfurt Book Festival, there are a lot of Taiwan authors or publishing houses which go there and try to make contacts with their counterparts in Europe in order to publish things there translate things in German.
1: Okay, I see. And the outcomes are visible, at least in France. So what kinds of comics, because you also said that after your return to France from Taiwan, you could find Taiwanese comics in France. What kinds of comics are translated into French and then sold to French publics? What categories of comics?
0: I would say, luckily for me, the category that I'm really interested in, that is the alternative comics. There was already around 2010, approximately, there was already some comics that were translated. For example, the Sidic uh, Bay by Chiu Jolong. Also, uh, the autobiographical comics by Xiao Zhuang. Um, But now, there are more and more young artists that are published and translated. There are comics by Ding Baoyen, Pan Pan Liu, Chen Peixiu, Liu Yichi as well. And also, in another category, the Zhang Wen, uh, the old, um, like, um, the major figure, in the comics art in Taiwan, who died, I think, in the 90s, but I'm not sure about that. And what is interesting is that all these young artists are published now. Almost all of them went to Angoulême at some point, either to go for residency in the, in the author's house or just for the festival. And that's, I think that's really where they got to meet with French publishers and uh, where also they could develop their European network, Another point that is interesting is that it's not one or two specific houses, publishing houses, that publish those artists. It's not like one or two publishing houses that are specialized in Taiwanese comics or Asian comics. It's really diverse houses that publish all kinds of comics from all over the world that found some books in Taiwan to be interesting enough to be published in their catalogue. And that's also proof of the Taiwanese comics to be more anchored in the French publishing sphere, they are not just dependent on one house that could go bankrupt at some point. They are really now integrated in a lot of publishing houses' catalogs in the country.
1: That's very good news. Let's summarize. Let's go back and look at these authors. So uh, you mentioned Zheng Wen, the same Zheng Wen that you also referred to a moment ago, saying that he had contacts with Japan. So what kinds of comics Did Zhang Wen create?
0: (laughs) Zhang Wen created comics that are really at that crossroads of different influences that I just talked about earlier uh, because he used techniques from the manga and from the traditional Chinese art as well, and particularly the use of the ink. And at the same time, he also explored new dimensions uh, for the comics art and he used new techniques for example, melting a plastic bag with a hairdryer on the paper in order to create bizarre atmosphere for a page, something like that. A lot of his comics are also based in a mythological setting, so we also see from, from those subjects that uh, he could very well use ancient Chinese brush techniques or yeah, that kind of things.
1: Yeah, Zheng Wen is extremely interesting from a stylistic point of view because he's very versatile. So, yeah, he does have Chinese influences, but he's very creative in diversifying his means of expression. So, indeed. So, Zheng Wen, that's one master of Taiwanese comics, an earlier, say, master. You also mentioned Sean Zhuang and his Diaries of the 80s in Taiwan, which is a an autobiography. You also mentioned Pam Pam Liu. Does she have any full book works that are published in France right now?
0: I think she does. There is one that was published maybe like one month ago, which I haven't read yet, called something like You and Me, The Catastrophe. That's something like that, the title. And I think it's a whole book by itself and not just zines that she used to publish in Taiwan, in Chinese.
1: Okay, I see. So how could you describe her style? This is a young artist who has been in Angoulême and he has won a prize there as well. How could you describe her in terms of style?
0: It's very difficult to describe styles, I think, but we could say that she used a lot of doodles lines. She draws very round characters, something like a caricature style, with a very simple, it's not the term, but uh, the drawings are... There are just outlines of, of characters or of settings. She just uses a black line. It, it must be a pen. Yeah, so very different from the style of Jung-wen, of for instance.
1: Yeah, so so Zheng Wen, I guess, uh, can be termed a mainstream author, one that sold well in Taiwan, and not only in Taiwan. Pam Pan Liu was a star at Angoulême at, uh, at some point, a young artist. Xiu also said that she has published in Zines, and this is her full-length book published in France now. Shon Zhuang with a book published in Taiwan first, in in France afterwards. Chen Xiu, I think that she published her book in France first, before it was translated into Chinese.
0: Oh, you think so? Yeah. Because I think I got it in Chinese beforehand and then realized that it was published in, in France. by Sud so another main publisher and respected publisher in, in comics, in the comics field. Yeah, she also has in another completely different style with very characteristic colors, uh, pinkish, bluish, uh, that says an urban aura. Yeah, it's really, it's really good.
1: Okay, so what I'm aiming at is not only bringing these artists closer to our listeners who can only listen about their styles, but also I'm aiming at reaching two topics, namely the various categories of comics that there are in Taiwan. Would you categorize these young artists as alternative? Would you say that they're independent? Do you have in mind other categories that function in Taiwan, the divisions, kinds of comics that there are in Taiwan? Yes.
0: Yes. That question is also very relevant, in particular in today's Taiwan. I think it also links to questions raised by Jean-Christophe Menu, a prominent author in France, and also editor and researcher in comics as well. He was trying to see what were the differences between independent, alternative, underground as well, what was the avant-garde. And if we try to follow his kind of topology, the independent comics would be comics published in small publishing structures. For example, those published by Slovak Publishing in Taiwan, a very recent publishing house that evolves apart from the big companies in the market. There's also the underground category in Taiwan that would be the self-published or even groundbreaking pieces that somewhere pub- position themselves outside of the market that are really under the ground so which is completely contrary to self publishing self publishing is really into the market they want to sell books and people who just self publish uh, their creations their little leaflets are publishing them at a really small scale they are selling them only like through the internet or to their friends to their network and sometimes in one or two bookstores in Taiwan and then The alternative comics could be maybe a more inclusive category, a more all-encompassing category, with comics that are mainly positioned against the norm rather than outside of the field. And that is really what I'm interested in. Comics artists who try to make sidesteps and try to explore new styles or, or new ways of telling a story in the comics form.
1: Okay, because I was just going to ask how they're going against the norm. Against what norm? What is the norm?
0: What is the norm is what is mainly published by the big companies. Uh, so the manga-esque style that you mentioned earlier, styles that derives from orthodox manga aesthetics. And also those are the books that are the more read and more sold in Taiwan. They are not the ones that I'm really familiar with as well. That's also another question concerning researchers' bias on the research objects.
1: Yeah, that makes two of us because uh, I, <laughs> I'm not very much into manga-esque comics in Taiwan either. So yes, this is a podcast that has a bias that is advocating or telling more about alternative, independent, underground comics than about manga-esque ones.
0: But that's also a valid point, yeah.
1: It is valid, but, you know, this is also my question. So we have this alternative, independent, underground comics that go against the grain, against the mainstream, against the norm. We like them. But do they sell in Taiwan, this sort of comics? Do they sell?
0: Um, I think they sell to a certain extent. They sell to a certain category of persons. It's the same thing... In Japan or in the U.S. or in Europe, in France, there are many orthodox classical comics that are sold to the greater audience. And then some more niche or more valuable, to my eyes, valuable comics that are bought by only one or two customers for every bookstore that we have in France. I think it's basically the same situation in Taiwan and other countries.
1: Okay, valuable, valuable, niche. My question is, we find this sort of comics interesting or valuable, but they only reach a niche audience. They are not bestsellers. So what makes them important, in your opinion? Why should we pay attention to them at all? Why should we discuss them in a podcast? For people, for an audience who is most likely not very familiar with Taiwanese comics at all, why shouldn't we introduce the manga-esque comics instead? What makes these niche comics valuable or interesting? What do you think?
0: Um, I think the manga-esque comics could very well be an object for research, uh, for other researchers that are interested, for example, in uh, macro approaches. Those who want to be researching uh, the state of the market, for example, or the sociology of the field. But what I'm interested into is more like micro analysis approaches. What I would like to do is research or the artistic and literary value of some of those works, some of those exquisite works. That's why I, I just label them valuable works. So maybe the difference here is that the comics I would like to research about have value in themselves, whereas uh, manga esque comics uh, can be valuable. For what they tell about the market, about the situation of comics, about the situation of publishing houses in Taiwan, about the sociology of artists, of producers of those comics. But what I would like to do is more a microanalysis study of, of those works uh, one by one.
1: Okay, so a more in depth approach. Uh, so there is this, this publisher called Slow Work, you want to do slow research. <laughs>
0: That's a good point.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I do too. Okay, so exquisite. Why are they
0: exquisite? They are exquisite in the sense that they are singular; that they are one of a kind. Every one of them. That's what makes them valuable in to my eyes as well.
1: The fact that they're unique.
0: Yes, that's it.
1: In terms of style.
0: In terms of style. In terms of how to tell the story. Usually they're not telling a story with classical beginning uh, introduction, with introducing, for example, each character, uh, who is who, uh, what, what is at stake in the story, what is at stake in the plot, and then the plot developing itself like to with classical upheavals, and then to a resolution point, and then in the end everything is fine and the plot is resolved. No, those stories are, first they have unique styles, and then they also have different ways of telling the stories.
1: All right, so they don't adopt conventional or mainstream narrative strategies with introducing a problem, the development of the problem, and the resolution. So they go their different ways, alternative ways, telling a story.
0: That's it. And I also think that those are the comics that could be remembered in the future.
1: But by whom? By whom? <laughs> so that's also the question by us, me and you, or what makes them, what why do you think, I understand they are valuable to you, I can personally identify with such a position, but do they have any broader relevance and why and what terms? Because you mentioned the sociological aspect of manga as comics, the sociological relationship or or patterns of production or what they can tell about the markets. Uh, What broader messages do these niche alternative independent underground comics, what's their broader relevance and by whom are they going to be remembered and why?
0: I don't think the whole category has the same broader relevance. Each work is really unique and each work is relevant for its own broader categories or anything. I think they are going to be remembered because they are going to be read, because they are interesting in what they are telling to the public. It's the same with movies, for example. We don't watch movies that were just released by studios for um, entertainment in the 50s, in the 60s, in the 40s. What we see today from, the, from that era are films that broke grounds, uh, that tried to evolve in a different way. And that's what I think, that those comics will be remembered in the future, not just by us.
1: Right. Uh, But I think that these sort of productions were remembered because they had a momentum. They would reach audiences, but these will most likely be audiences like me and you, who are not Taiwanese, French audiences, who are maybe accustomed to, whose tastes already relate to, are very much shaped by this alternative uniqueness. I wonder if they will be remembered in Taiwan.
0: Yeah, you know, we'll see. But another point that goes to my direction is also that those other works are translated abroad. The manga-esque cartoons or comics in Taiwan are not those that are translated in French or in English. Those that are translated are the alternative ones. Those are outside of the mainstream field.
1: Okay, so it is these sorts of comics that reaches international audiences and they are translated because who leads to their translation? Is it state promotion? Is so Taiwanese, the Taiwanese state who is promoting them abroad is it the French publishers? Do you know anything about this?
0: Yeah, I think it's uh, for a great deal of them, it's probably just the French publishers that uh, go to the festivals or go meet with the artists that are in residence and artist residence in France. And they meet with them, they see their work, and they decide who they want to publish.
1: All right, so it's demand.
0: Yeah, that's really a down-to-earth uh, method of publishing them and choosing to translate to translate them. Yeah.
1: Okay, so it's demand abroad that uh, leads to a translation of. So this would lead possibly to different kinds of Taiwanese comics that reach audiences inside Taiwan and outside Taiwan, because in Taiwan it is the mangaish ones that are uh, most popular.
0: Yes, maybe. Maybe we we'll see a dichotomy between what pleases the audience in Taiwan and what pleases the audience abroad. Yeah,
1: yeah we'll need to to see how things develop because uh, this international promotion is quite recent. It's been around for these projects for how many years now?
0: The international influence of Taiwan Comics is growing really in France since like maybe five years So, yeah, it's really recent.
1: Okay. And uh, the state projects for promoting homegrown comics in Taiwan and promoting them abroad is also, these projects are also quite recent.
0: Yes, they're also quite recent. They're dating from the, like, 2010 onwards.
1: I have one more question about alternative, independent, underground, because you use the typology that is French. Do you know how Taiwanese artists like to designate themselves? How do they speak about themselves? In what terms? Using what categories? What phrases? Alternative, underground, independent. Do they use these sort of terms themselves?
0: I don't really know to be honest. And uh, I think that uh, that typology, we shouldn't take it as a really strict categories because I think of some artists in Taiwan who could publish works considered sometimes as underground, other works as more alternative, and other as well as published by independent publishers or even mainstream publishers. So one single person, one single author could very well be present in different categories of that typology. So yeah, for sure, it's something that has to be softened up a little.
1: I see. These sort of categories are important are or these labels are attached to a work of comics by the artists themselves who may think or speak about themselves in certain ways. But these labels can also be attached by international publishers who market, publish and market them on markets that are not Taiwanese. So that's a good point about the diversity or the variance in labelling.
0: Yes, and of course, uh, the labelling comics and underground comics can also be a marketing label for a publisher abroad, like trying to get people to be interested in that East Asian underground sphere that nobody really knows about.
1: Okay, so creating this idea of a niche.
0: Yeah, that's it, that's it. Sometimes it's also a market-created category or label.
1: Yeah, indie comics.
0: That's it, indie comics.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, let us go towards one theme that you have discussed in works that you have published. So your own slow research, micro-scale research. You have discussed the theme of oceanic comics. So could you introduce briefly this theme to our audience?
0: Yes, so uh, that was when I was in Taiwan two years ago and when I was roaming the bookstores, the comics bookstores in Taipei. And I realized that there were so many titles in the comics and in the recently published comics for the words either island or sea or maybe ocean as well. There was the first issue of Boeing Comics, so a magazine, a review of comics. The first issue was uh, focusing on the island theme. And then there was also... Mayfly Island, created by Li Shangqiao and Evergreen Ye. Uh, there was Island Escape, uh, a self-published comics by Fang Jui Ye. Son of the Sea by Chen Tian. Also comics by Li Li Qin. Formosa. So again, referring to the island. And uh, Fuda Fudak, which is a place uh, located on the east coast of Taiwan. Ichthyophobia as well by Li Longqie, someone who is frightened by the sea, by the fish, the fishes in the sea. And all those uh, titles, all those comics kind of um, led myself to explore what the ocean and the island represented in those comic works. So I tried to focus on the status of of the ocean, uh, the status of the island in, in various dimensions, in the most various dimensions possible. There was first the narrative level that was really obvious the sea, the island that are, are just the settings of laws, or, or maybe that are tools for the narration. Uh, there was a the symbolical level with a lot of metaphors attached to the island, especially and also to the sea in the stories. There was a major political level for the use of this sea and this island. They were used to advocate, a for example, a Taiwan independence or for the necessity to preserve the environment. There was also a metaphysical level that used the sea and the island to channel existential interrogations about the self, about the group, about uh, the relationship with the self to the group. And then, of course, there was the graphical level, which I was really fond of. Uh, how the sea, how the island merge into the visual substance of the comics. How they are represented. How they are sketched, or how they are drowned in the ink, in the watercolors. Yeah, all all that kinds of dimensions of possible use of the ocean and the sea and the island.
1: Okay, so it's comics that, uh, from what I can hear, are either the so-called independent, uh, like for Formosa or Fudafudak, or alternative, uh, these brief comics, either self-published or published in reviews, which you like, because uh, they are exquisite in terms of unique. You can label them as unique, but they have in common this theme of the ocean. And the fact that it's not just a setting, it's significant. So they do have something that would bring them together. And could you say that this is what their broader resonance lies? This is where their broader relevance lies as well. Does this theme of the sea, the ocean, the island in comics, is it connected with other themes that are significant in contemporary Taiwan, in other media? Can you, what are your thoughts about this?
0: Um, Yes, the point of view of my research work in that case was really the ocean and the island, but you could also try to study those works from a different angle, from a different perspective. That was really something that I adopted, the island, the ocean point of view. But those comics are not restricted to that perspective. Then it's true that the focus on the ocean and the island has some resonance today in Taiwan, in other cultural art spheres. I found some echoes of that theme, of the oceanic field, the theme, uh, for example, in Ho Xiaoxian's movie, Green, Green Grass of Home, in 1982, already, with the necessity to preserve a river crossing a village in the countryside of Taiwan. Uh, There's also the work by the author Wu Mingyi, who is really connected to the environment, and who published in 2007 a book entitled So Much Water, So Close to Home, where he tries to develop what he calls poetics of water. And then also another major author who is Wukho and who published the Remnants of Life novel, Yushan, where the strings of the waters in the mountains also bear metaphorical significances for the aboriginals there. So yeah, there are some echoes to be found of that oceanic water theme in other art in Taiwan today
1: yeah so it's these connections across various forms of cultural production across various kinds of media between literature and comics, and these are general concern discursive concern with the environment, the environment protection, also the connection between the sea as nature and uh, and various indigenous cultures in Taiwan. Yes, this is how uh, we can justify the broader relevance of these very individual, very unique, very niche works that they discuss themes. Although, as you said, they can be approached for, from other perspectives as well. They do capture or tackle or, or discuss more in depth about these themes that are relevant now and have been relevant uh, even earlier as well. And I think that this is also a paradigm, this oceanic paradigm is also used recently in Taiwan studies as, as academia, in the academic discourse, as a new way of positioning Taiwan or defining, approaching Taiwan, conceptualizing Taiwan.
0: Yeah, that's true. There is the, the strong link between ecological fiction and the promotion of Aboriginal rights and cultures. And also that sort of academia, soft power for Taiwan, <laughs> placing it uh, in a more oceanic world than a continental Chinese world.
1: Yeah, so it's an alternative to a definition of Taiwan that is conducted, that is made with reference to China. Now, the, the point of reference or the framework of, of reference is different. That is the ocean and the environment. So, yeah, that's, that's how we can argue for the significance of this sort of comics. OK, so now that we've discussed various themes about Taiwanese comics, uh, your own research interests, now, because I'm conscious of time, so we need to go towards the end of this uh, this podcast slowly, where are you now in terms of research in Taiwanese comics? Are there any specific directions that you'd like to follow? What are your plans for future research into Taiwanese comics or even future reading of Taiwanese comics as a fan? Do you have, I don't know, a collection of uh, new comics that uh, that you've bought or want to buy and want to read?
0: <laughs> yeah, so I don't have much left from uh, the what I bought in Taiwan two years ago. Also, uh, what really gave a direction to my research was that at the time, I wanted to buy things that I wouldn't be able to buy elsewhere and that wouldn't be able to be translated. So mainly self-published comics at a really small scale and also comics magazines or comics reviews that are mainly sold in Taiwan and not in Europe or elsewhere. Now, what I would like to do is to break a bit from that absolutely contemporary comics state situation and try to know more uh, about the older comics and older comic artists, try to to dwell more into the works by Chang Wen first, Uh, but also my interest was sparked by caricatures by Nyoko as well uh, for the first Golden Age in in the 50s, the first uh, Golden Age of Taiwanese comics, and also the comic strips by Zhu Dayong in the second Golden Age in the 80s, a very comical comic strips representing a couple, a man and a woman, uh, always arguing in constant conflict that, Looks really, really fun to read. I think that's the direction I would like to go to now.
1: Okay, so it's the the history or earlier periods in in the history of Taiwanese comics that you'd like to turn towards the 50s, the 80s?
0: That's it. I I began with uh, the present time and now I would like to go to the past.
1: (laughs) Okay. I think that we're going uh, to end here. Thank you very much, Norbert, for this conversation. Uh, I do hope that uh, we've uh, managed to introduce or to show to our audience, at least to make an argument for the great diversity of Taiwanese comics, whether contemporary or earlier, the 50s, the 1980s, great masters such as jung Wan. Or new artists such as Lin Li Ting, Pam Pam Liu, uh, Chan Pei Xiu, and and others. So I do hope that our audiences will be encouraged to reach for Taiwanese comics themselves. Thank you very much, Norbert.
0: Thank you very much for the invitation, Adina.
1: Thanks a lot, and then looking forward to next stages in your research.
0: Thank you. Bye.